Welcome back to another episode of Cyberstar Talks podcast. I am Iona. As always, I am so thrilled you're spending your precious time with me and my honored guest. Today's guest is Joshua Krambaugh. Joshua is an internationally respected cybersecurity expert, author, and keynote speaker. Noted as one of the world's most accomplished social engineers and a leading expert on cybersecurity awareness, his vast experience in security led him to found Fish Farwell, where he serves as CEO. Joshua, welcome to Cyberstar Talks podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Today, we will speak about social engineering and we'll be focusing on phishing. According to the latest reports, 90% of corporate security breaches are the result of phishing attacks. The impact of phishing can, can be devastating. We've seen large enterprises in the past experiencing huge data breaches due to phishing attacks. But what is phishing? Joshua, you have conducted a thorough and extensive research on this topic. How would you define phishing in a way that's easily digestible by everyone? Yeah, I mean, I've seen phishing in so many different forms. I mean, the, the classic form is a malicious email, but we've seen phishing come in through faxes. We've seen it come in through text messages. We've seen it come in through voice calls. We've now seen it start coming in through QR codes. So really, I, I define phishing as any malicious communication designed to get the user to do something that they shouldn't otherwise do. Now, sometimes they're trying to steal data and information. Sometimes they're trying to put malware on things. Sometimes they're just trying to get you to change a configuration or a setting somewhere. Um, the goals vary, but the techniques really remain the same. And that is largely preying on, on human nature to get people to do things they otherwise wouldn't. What are the main reasons people fall for phishing scams? I mean, with, with the widespread use of 3D secure payments and multi-factor authentication, some people think this could be like the end of phishing era. What's your take on this? Well... Phishing is still the number one way that people get or that criminals get into organizations, uh, to personal computers, you name it. And uh, and it's because people tend to be the weakest link. They don't have to be, but they tend to be the weakest link. Right. Now, this is largely because of things called cognitive biases that exploit our, our psychology. And so a cognitive bias is is a mental shortcut that we use every day to quickly make decisions. The bad guys know about these mental shortcuts and they use it to get people to do things they otherwise wouldn't. Um, in terms of MFA, we've seen MFA bypassed at, at a large scale every single year. Uh, typically multiple times in, in that year, we see these exploits to bypass a major multi-factor authentication uh, service. And so I I truly not just don't think, I'm, I'm certain that we aren't anywhere near the end of phishing, uh, largely because it's it's the number one way that bad guys get in. They're not going to stop until there's, there's other lower hanging fruit, and there isn't, not right now. 
Yeah, we, we are not addressing the root of the problem with the MFA or 3D secure payments. Apart from the technological flaws that they might have, the human tendency to trust and the ever evolving tactics of scammer cannot be addressed with with MFA. Oh, no, exactly. In fact, uh, I I heard about, uh, uh, got a chance to sit down with somebody that was recently scammed. It wasn't out of a lot of money, uh, but it was enough that uh, that they were talking about it a lot. And uh, and they had been warned ahead of time that this, this isn't real, this is a scam. And uh, And their response to the person that warned them was, have some faith in people. You don't trust anyone. And uh, and I, I just find it 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 sort of interesting because people will have that exact sort of response. No, uh, this is the one exception. They're they're legit. You know, I need to be nice. And so, um, yeah, it's a you know, humans are naturally very likely to trust. It's it's like the old tailgating trick you know if i i walk up to a door with two or a coffee in both hands and my hands full somebody's gonna open that door and let me into the building just out of kindness and that's you know that's been a a go-to for uh for social engineers for a long time to be able to get in and out of buildings that they're not supposed to be in it's that same sort of mentality that that leads to that you have founded a company named Fish Firewall, where you aim to reshape traditional information security awareness programs. What are the concrete problems that Fish Firewall addresses? The, the weakest link and nearly every corporation is humans. And that's not because they're not doing training. That's because they're doing training for compliance purposes only. And the problem with checking a box is that it doesn't always address the root cause. And the example I'll give is the classic form of awareness training where you have your people go through an hour long class, they take a test on it, and then they don't come back and and take that test again for a year. That training has been proven to have uh, almost zero retention uh, just due to the amount that it covers. But more importantly, there have been a number of academic studies that have come out that have found that it does nothing to reduce susceptibility to social engineering attacks. And so what we do differently is, number one, we we built the platform from the ground up on AI, but we've incorporated behavioral science into everything that we do and able to in order to not just give people compliance and and check that box but be able to check that box while changing human behavior and mitigating that click and and the ai really allows us to automate everything from start to finish so you can deploy best practices at scale without having to go in and and put in the amount of effort that it would through traditional platforms to build that out. And it's now exactly the time to replace this traditional rule-based approaches to cybersecurity um, with a smarter technology and, and training. It, it is. I mean, I, and it's not just security awareness. It's all of cybersecurity. Really, all of technology is going through a transformation right now where AI is being either added to it or new technologies are being built with AI at its core. And, you know, like we say, built from the ground up on AI. 
uh, we, we've seen a lot in 2023. I mean, AI really, really made some, uh, some just vast strides and 2024 is it's going to continue. But the trend that I really see in 24 is that we're going to start to rely on AI more than we ever have before as a society. And especially in things like cybersecurity, um, or other complex fields where you need that uh, that ability to respond more quickly. Um, and it doesn't help that the bad guys are already using AI against us. So the only chance we have to keep up is, is to utilize AI. What do you see as the major shortcomings in the current security awareness training methodologies? And how can this be improved to effectively combat phishing? You know, I think the number one shortcoming is the length of the content. There is this behavioral science principle called cognitive load theory. And it says basically that there are three steps to learning. The, the first step is just understanding the core concepts of what you're learning. And, and the example I'll give you is that it's going to be really difficult to educate somebody about phishing attacks if they don't even know what email is. Right. The second part is the delivery of that uh, content. And this could be a classroom session. This could be a video they watch. This could be an email that they read. Um, and then the third step, and this is the part that's most often forgotten, is digesting and processing that information and committing it to memory long term. And so... When you have longer uh, videos that take a long time to get to the point, cover a lot of complex topics all in one sitting, what happens is that there's no room left to process that. There's no mental bandwidth left to commit it to long-term memory. And, and as a result, what happens is you get almost zero retention. And so I see that as one of the most critical things Another area that I see as, as being problematic is the way we do fishing tends to be heavily punitive. And, uh, and so it's, it creates these negative experiences for people. The example uh, that I, I see all the time are, are companies that have a three strikes and you're out policy with fishing simulations. Quite literally, on click three, they get fired. And, uh, and that creates a very punitive culture and behavioral science tells us that that doesn't work, that you, people have to feel safe to learn. There's this whole uh, research into growth mindset and, and what that means and how we cultivate that and create that. And, and one of the, the core uh, elements of that is that people have to feel comfortable making a mistake. And, and mistakes have to be used as learning opportunities instead of punishment opportunities if you truly want to create that. And so I, I think that we really have to incorporate more behavioral science into what we're doing as an industry. And I often have the impression that we are sometimes focusing too much on policy rather than the practical side of it. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. And I, I think there's something to learning in the flow of work where, you know, I can tell you about something uh, from an academic perspective, but you're never going to understand that thing like you will when you've experienced it hands on. It brings a different level of understanding. And so 
um, you know, that being able to do more of those hands-on exercises can, can really help to not just mitigate the specific threats that we're doing exercises on, um, but there's, there's another behavioral uh, science concept called identical elements, identical elements theory. And what it talks about is how when you spot something in a fishing simulation, how you're going to be more likely to see that same type of attack in other mediums. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be just in an email. Now, if somebody calls you up over the phone and they're using that same tactic, you're immediately going to spot it and be less likely to fall for it. Considering that phishing often exploits human psychology, how could a deeper understanding of behavioral psychology enhance our defense strategies against phishing? Are our mental shortcuts a significant vulnerability in this regard? Well, mental shortcuts are a huge vulnerability. So, you know, I touched on cognitive biases earlier, but we have the tendency as humans to rely on, on these shortcuts that we're completely unaware of. And, and an example is the authority bias. It's one of the most common phishing attacks that we see in the enterprise space. And an employee that's new to the company will get a text message or an email from the CEO of the company asking them to do something, asking for a question. It, it, the, the exact methodologies change, but the thing that doesn't change is the fact that they're always impersonating somebody very high up in the company. And so that's that's exploiting the the authority bias. But there are, are so many others like fear of missing out. So if I, uh, you know, take act like I'm going to take something away, you're going to be more likely to to do something. If I couple that with a scarcity bias, like hurry up, you know, supplies are limited, act now. Uh, that that just motivates people to uh, move even more quickly. And we see these cognitive biases being used every day in marketing. Um, and we don't think a whole lot of it, but uh, but it becomes very dangerous when the bad guys use those exact same tactics against us. Now, in terms of how we can use this better understanding of psychology to defend um, there's a lot of talk in the industry right now about social engineering for good, and it truly is just behavioral science, but there's a lot of tiny little things that you can add to your, your, your programs in order to make them more effective. One of the things that I, I like, or an example that I like to use there is something called dual coding. So if I'm going to give you a, an awareness video and have you watch it, I can actually make that video more effective just simply by adding closed captions and turning them on at the beginning, because now you're reading and listening to that uh, that video. And because of the dual coding, you have a much higher retention. Um, oh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, another thing that tends to be done in phishing simulations is that we'll see if the user is going to type in their username and password. And while that seems like it'd be a really good metric, it fails to contemplate the fact that at the moment a mistake is realized, there are new mental pathways being formed 
And if you can provide that person with just in time training right then, they're going to have much higher retention than they will if you provide them with training even just five, 10 minutes later. Very insightful. And I think we should all take a deep dive into this social and psychological aspects on how our cognitive function work in order to be able to develop a better information security awareness training. Oh, absolutely. You know, I like to make the joke that, uh, that we put our worst communicators in charge of our best or our biggest communications problem inside of companies. Um, but there is a lot of truth to it. Most of the people in cybersecurity did not come from a communications background. They did not come from a psychology background. They came from a technical background. They got into computers because a lot of them didn't like dealing with people and computers just made more sense. And, uh, and that works for a lot of cyber, but not for the human part. Hackers constantly invent new ways to exploit flows. And you, you know this very well. Homograph phishing attacks belong to those complex approaches in phishing. Can you explain for our listeners what homograph phishing attacks are and why are they particularly dangerous? Uh, homograph, uh, or homograph phishing attacks, also known as typo squatting attacks, uh, they are when a bad guy will create a URL or buy a URL that is very, very similar to yours. And so um, way back in the day, I used to own appytechsupport.com. And when we would send the uh, fish off of this URL, we would always change the I and appy, A-P-P-I-E, to a, an uppercase I. And if you present the whole thing in lowercase letters with just that one letter being capitalized and it's in the right font, uh, it looks identical to Apple tech support. And so little things like changing I's uh, to L's or vice versa or inverting two letters or if there's a double letter only having one of those letters all can lead to a very, very convincing URL that is presented to the user. And so they really, really have to pay close attention in order to differentiate that URL from uh, the actual real URL. And what I find really daunting is implementing methods which comprise different alphabets. So let's say the Latin letter A can be completely indistinguishable to, to the average I from the Cyrillic letter A, for example. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and we see a lot of that where they can create these very, very convincing URLs. And in, another issue that we have is that there are new top-level domains every day. Um, the the top-level domain is the .com, .net, .org. Uh, but now there's thousands of them and every day there's new ones. And so the bad guys can go buy a, you know, Microsoft.ninja or whatever. I'm, I use that right. as an example. Um, but then they own that. And uh, and that's just one more thing that makes it difficult for users to differentiate. Um, but this is where I, I really think that training is 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 just paramount. With enough hands-on training, 
I find that users will just start avoiding these attacks and you'll ask them about it and they won't even have really any memory of having deleted the email other than, oh, something fell off about it. And so you can really get it more on an autopilot, uh, that that defense more on autopilot just simply by running these these scenarios and making them more or progressively more difficult and progressively more complex. That's how we train users and make sure that when they get one in the real world like that, they don't fall for it. So the takeaway here is type in the URL yourself in the uh -huh. browser. <laughs> well, that's, that's certainly a, a very good takeaway. I mean, anytime you can type the URL and go there manually and not click on a link, it's better. Um, you know, it's, it's rare time or rare occasion that you actually have to click that link. And that's, you know, typically things like password resets. QR codes. That's another huge topic. Um, we, we're using basically QR codes nowadays for a variety of convenient purposes from making payments, accessing menus in restaurants to downloading apps or checking in for, for events. However, this rise in usage has also opened up a new avenue for cybercriminals to, to exploit. So here's the thing called quishing that's been buzzing around. Can you explain what quishing entails and how it differs from traditional phishing? Uh, yeah, I mean, with, with quishing or QR code phishing, uh, really all they're trying to do is get you to scan a malicious barcode somewhere. Um, the same basic rules that apply to avoiding normal phishing attacks apply here. It really it take into consideration the context of it. Does it make sense? Am I expecting this? And uh, and be careful what you actually scan. I, I think the menus example is is you know a great uh, a great illustration of how it can be very difficult for us to avoid scanning all of the QR codes. Uh, but when it doesn't make sense or something seems off, we need to trust the our our sixth sense, if you will, and uh, and or really it's trust our subconscious and uh, and and rely on it to know better. And it's one of the things that people don't really think about, but their subconscious is designed to quickly detect on threats and alerts and and. You know, the example is if something flies at your face, you, before you notice it there, your eyes already shut because of your reflexes. And so we can train our subconscious to be able to detect phishing attacks and malicious attacks, too, in the same way that uh, that we would do anything else. And that's just running simulations until it becomes second nature. Moving to a more technical side Zero-click exploits are a rising concern nowadays. This kind of attacks require no user interaction at all. That's mind-blowing. Could you unpack this for us? How this uh, zero-click exploits are designed and why are they considered a formidable threat in phishing uh, strategies? Well, fortunately, we don't see them that often, uh, but it is probably once a year that we see a zero-click exploit. They're typically remediated fairly quickly, but that goes back to why it's so important to install patches and, uh, and security updates. Uh, but a, a zero-click exploit is when 
an email or a fish will get sent to somebody and they don't have to open the email. They don't even have to click on the email for them to be compromised. So earlier, uh, I guess not this year, last year in 2023, we saw an exploit with Microsoft Outlook where users that were on it, if they had a, a specially crafted calendar invite, it would cause their system to hand over their credentials to the other system. Hmm. And uh, and it was all behind the scenes. It was zero clicks. So they didn't have to open the email to have their credentials compromised. Um, they are less common that we see those zero click uh, exploits inside of a web-based uh, application than we see them inside of thick clients. Um, but, uh, but nevertheless, we still see those and when they do, they can be very devastating very quickly. Do you think they are related to any particular technology? Well, we see them more in the Microsoft, uh, tech stack than anywhere else. There have been quite a few in Outlook Not to pick on Microsoft, but it's, I guess it's just the reality. Huh? <laughs> How is AI being utilized to develop more sophisticated phishing attacks? And what implications does this have for the future of cybersecurity? So AI is heavily being used in phishing. And, you know, with, with AI getting so much smarter in 23, we saw so much talk about the, you know, Skynet and the rise of AI and whatnot. And, uh, And while that may be fun to talk about, the more realistic threat of AI attacking us is what's happening right now in phishing attacks. So when new employees will start a new job and update their LinkedIn profile to say that they work there, we are seeing attacks hit that new employee within just minutes sometimes wow. of updating their profile. I think the quickest was about uh, 25 minutes from the time they said they worked at a place to the time that they got a text message from a local number um, saying that it was the CEO of the company. And uh, and so it's it's really become a race uh, a race condition, if you will, as to who can get to them first. And more often than not, the bad guys are getting to those new employees before we do. And uh, and so it's 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 I mean it's gotten very very concerning, and it's very difficult to defend against because we are just talking hours or days before they're getting hit. And that means we've got to get our new staff ramped up and aware of the threats as quickly as humanly possible. And the text written by AI is looks completely legitimate. Like you can you can barely tell whether it is a phishing attempt or it's a legitimate email if you don't look for other red flags. Oh, absolutely. Not only is it written really well, uh, but the AI is smart enough to exploit things like open redirects that are out there. And so more often than not, when we see these heavily uh, automated ones that are, are very obviously coming from AI, uh, we're also seeing legitimate URLs at the back end of it. And so an open redirect is just a vulnerability that a lot of major corporations have 
where I can generate a link that says it's going to xyzcorporation.com, uh, but as soon as it hits there, it's going to redirect to my malicious site. And so it, it makes it that much more difficult for the end user to be able to detect on these things. Um, and so we're starting to see a lot of that in these phishing attacks where it says it's from Facebook and, oh, look, it's actually a Facebook URL. Um, so that's that's one of the things that's uh, impressed a little bit and, and surprised me. Impressed not in a good way, but, uh, but nevertheless, just at, at how sophisticated the attacks are um, and how quickly they can launch them against an organization. Talking about using AI for good, you built an AI cyber coach. Could you explain how it works and, and how users can get access to it? Yeah, so one of the things that we realized when building Fish Firewalls technology was that people needed that one-on-one -on -one coach uh, in order to learn. Cybersecurity tends to be very intimidating to your average employee or average user. And it, it doesn't help that every single time there is something about a hacker on television, they make that hacker out to be a genius. And uh, and so people really do truly see hacking as something that's too complex for them to understand. And until they accept that they can understand it, they're, they're not going to be successful in defending against these attacks. And so we wanted to create that sort of person that was always there to help the user that worked with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis to coach them about cybersecurity, sort of like an Alexa would, you know, at your house, but for all things cybersecurity and to prevent phishing attacks. And so, yeah, we, we built that. Users love it. Uh, in fact, most don't even know that there's an AI behind it. And, uh, and so we, you know, we get great results. And uh, and it is it does help to have that relationship, because at the end of the day, we are when you run a phishing simulation, you run the risk of somebody getting upset or frustrated or having that negative experience, no matter how much you do to try and avoid it. And so the AI now can gamify that to to prevent the negative experience. And so. Uh, the AI will write you an email and say, hey, let me tell you about this attack. And there's a little video in there. And it says, OK, now the next time you see it, it might be me or it could be the real bad guys. And it sort of creates this game of cat and mouse to to really take that negative uh, experience and turn it into a positive one. Outstanding. Business leaders and executives often have the idea that they must invest in systems and technologies first to prevent bad things from happening. And they keep human factor the last in the line. In your opinion, what should be the prioritization in the lineup of defense strategies? Well, I think we should be planning our defense strategies the same way that we would plan anything else. Look at the, the risk um and uh and distributed according to the risk and with 90% of our risk coming from our human element 
Um, to me, it says that that should be where a majority of our budget goes. Uh, but the reality is actually quite opposite of that. It's, you know, 90% of budget goes to 10% of the problem and 10% of budget goes to 90% of the problem. And That's so, the ugly truth, unfortunately. It is. It is. And I, I think it's because people don't believe that they can change their human element. So why invest? But sometimes uh, it's also overconfidence, I guess. I think overconfidence is a, is a huge vulnerability. Oh, absolutely. It, one of the most common things that I hear when I will go in to help somebody with a cyber incident. So let's say they just had a ransomware attack and they're looking to recover. Um, I will often get brought in and it's almost always the same thing or a variation on it. And they say, well, we've been in business for 30 years. We had never had a problem up until now. We, you know, why would we expect that we were right. going to have and it, while it makes sense, uh, I think that they they fail to take into account just how much the problem has grown since the 70s when the first few exploits were invented to now where, you know, hacking is a common thing. It's easy to get that knowledge. And so, you know, the more easy we make it for the defenders to get the knowledge, the more easy it is for the bad guys to get the knowledge, too. Exactly. And especially with the ever-increasing developments in technology and also the attack surface. So we're now facing a different attack surface that we faced even last year. It's true. Uh, the attack surface has absolutely grown. And, uh, you know, it, it used to be that the front lines for a war that's being fought across the world, well, was exactly that. It's across the world. But nowadays, we're, we're so connected that that war that's being fought across the world can get right into your living room through attacks or cyber attacks that are just meant to cause disruptions and uh, or it can get right into your boardroom. Um, through cyber attacks that are, are meant to cause financial damage. And so it, it really has changed. And to your point about it growing just in the last year, AI has gotten smarter, much, much smarter than it was. And it's only going to continue to get smarter. And with every increase in the sophistication of AI, the sophistication of these attacks gets much better too. In most of the organizations, uh, there's also a cultural problem related to data breaches. When data breaches happen, business leaders will start punishing people instead of taking proactive measures to prevent this from happening again in the future, which we touched uh, this topic a little bit earlier. And uh, I mean, consider the case of an employee who falls victim to a phishing attack and is then punished for it. What do we expect from them? Of course, they will be stressed out and make more mistakes. And this unfortunately only feeds the systemic problem, which keeps fishing such a prevalent issue nowadays. Um, what is your thought on this? Is there any uh, suggestion or recommendation you could give to, to business leaders to, to fix this issue? You know, I, I once heard a, a sort of analogy of a, a, of a business leader who had had a ransomware attack and uh, and it cost him a million dollars. 
And so the person that clicked on it uh, didn't get fired. And so somebody or one of his employees comes to him and he says, well, why didn't you fire that guy? He cost you a million dollars. And he said, yeah, I just put a million dollars into his education. Why would I fire him now? Wow. Um, but I, I really do think there's a bit to that. It's, you know, that that may be more of a, a, a joke, but uh, but it but there's a lot of truth to it. Um, we've got to see these mistakes as learning opportunities. And I truly believe that the only way somebody should get fired is if there's gross negligence. And in almost every single breach that I've seen, it wasn't the, it, it, well, there, there often was gross negligence, but it wasn't the user that clicked on the, the, the fish that exhibited the gross negligence. It was the you know, teams that failed to educate that user about the threat and make sure that they have the right skills they need to defend the organization. And so I, I really do think that we got to start looking at giving away or, or I guess when we give away access to a new employee, we need to look at that a little bit like the teenager who's learning to drive. You don't just give them the keys and say, have fun. You make sure they know how to drive first so they don't kill themselves or somebody else. Right. And uh, and I, I think we really got to treat access to our networks, to our computers, to our email, uh, the same exact way that we would treat that. Joshua, thank you so much for your insightful answers and for shedding light on these complex issues. I really appreciate you taking the time for this interview and I wish you all the best with Fish for Our World. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Cyberstar Talks podcast. If you like what you heard, please follow us, leave a review and tune in monthly for the upcoming episodes.